right. You're going to learn this morning that I'm a Jesus guy. We're a Jesus church. Amen. So when we come on Sunday, we talk about Jesus. And at the end of every message, you realize the climactic ending and the pinnacle of the message is the saving message of Jesus Christ. And it's going to be no different today in our passage in Mark chapter 7. Let's bow our heads and let's pray about the message. Father, I'm thankful for what Jesus has offered each and every one of us. And today, this is a, it's a unique story. It's a unique situation. Uh, but Jesus made abundantly clear who the gospel is available for. And he was speaking to a woman in, in, in this passage today who needed, who needed to know that you are for her. And we learned today that you are for all of us. And you are in our corner and you never leave us. You never forsake us. You are rooting us on and you are giving us every possible advantage in terms of the gospel, in terms of heaven, in terms of eternal life, in terms of a fulfilled life. You have made it available to each of us this morning. I pray that we may all grab a hold of it like this lady did today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all the Lord's children said, amen. Thank you for being here this morning. This past week, I was reading about a couple in San Jose, California, who was renovating their house. As they were tearing away wallpaper and sheetrock, they found that the previous owner had left a message inside the wall for them. Here's what the message said. Hi, we're the Shinsekis. We remodeled this bathroom in the summer of 1995. If you're reading this, that means you're remodeling this bathroom again. What's wrong with the way we did it? <laughs> well, I love whenever people leave a message from the past. We get to learn in Scripture from messages in the past. We get to learn sometimes how they did it wrong, and we get to learn from them sometimes in how they did it right. Today's lady did it right. She exemplifies the passage of the righteous shall live by faith and not by sight. Faith, a small word that produces huge results. Faith. Everybody just say the word out loud. Faith. Small word produces huge results. There's so much material in our Bibles on this subject. We could preach an entire year on this one word of faith. There's an entire chapter in Hebrews chapter 11 called the Hall of Faith. We even titled it that. Scripture doesn't entitle it that. But if you ever read Hebrews chapter 11, it just says, by faith Abel, by faith Enoch, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith Rahab, by faith Sarah, and so forth. It's an entire chapter dedicated to people of great faith. By the way, your salvation was activated by faith. It was triggered by faith. For by grace you are saved through faith. Faith is what activated God's grace in your life. And also, on the contrary, every failure you've ever had in your life happened because of a lack of faith. Anything done without faith is sin. When I think of big faith, I think of a man by the name of Jackie Robinson. He comes to mind. He would have turned 100 years old this year. Did you know that? I think late January he would have turned 100 if he was still alive it's a great story. There's a movie about him. I believe the movie is called 42. Am I accurate on that? The movie is called 42. I think there's a day in Major League Baseball where everybody, every year, wears the number 42 on that particular game day. He's a hero, but many people don't know that the real hero in the story is his mother, Mally. She was a single mother raising five children, working three jobs, putting food on the table, all by herself, five children, three jobs, 
and she would instill into her kids the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus. So that when Jackie Robinson became an adult man and he was breaking the color barrier in major professional sports in the United States of America, and people were intimidating, throwing racial slurs at him and hating him and spitting on him and giving him death threats and trying to hurt him, he would remember the words of Jesus in his mind. When somebody strikes you on one cheek, you turn the other cheek. An author was asked what was the secret of Jackie Robinson's success. And the author said the secret ingredient of Jackie Robinson's success was his faith in God. I've learned this in my life. I've seen it in other people's life. I see it in Scripture, and I can't fully explain it. Here's, here's all I can tell you. When faith intersects with the power of Jesus, everything changes. You ever notice that? When somebody has big faith and it intersects with the power of Jesus, a nation can change, a church can change, an organization, a business, a school, a family, generations can change forever. A little bit of faith can move mountains, but big faith can change lives forever. Esther, she walked into the king's room unsummoned, wasn't supposed to do that, that was a death penalty if you walked into the presence of the king without being summoned, but she did it, and she said, if I perish, I perish, that's fine, but her faith, her big faith, change the course of a nation. Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, I love your sincere faith. It's real. It's the real deal. You're the real deal. But it came from your mom, and it came from your grandmother who passed it down. His mom and his grandmother, their big faith changed a family forever. Faith is so vital to the Christian life that Peter once said, a genuine faith is more precious than gold. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, it is impossible to please God without faith. You can't please him without faith. So I got a question for you. When you think of people with great faith, who do you think of? When you think of people with great faith, who comes to mind? Now, if you're thinking biblically, you may be thinking Moses or Noah or Abraham or Rahab. If you're thinking New Testament, you may be thinking Paul or Barnabas or Mary or Phoebe or Peter or John or Stephen. But nobody ever mentions this lady in today's passage. Nobody ever mentions her. She's never mentioned in anybody's lists of faith. But I think if Jesus were preaching this sermon today and he was to give you a list of faith, I think Jesus would have this woman on his list of people of great faith. As a matter of fact, there's only two spots in the gospel where Jesus says somebody has great faith, and she's in it. She's one of them. The Roman centurion, Matthew chapter 8, this woman in Mark chapter 7. She's also mentioned in Matthew 15. So we're going to go verse by verse, beginning with verse 24. And we're going to show five marks of great faith. Only two people, Jesus ever said, had great faith. This was one of them. Beginning with verse 24. Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre. Now here's a map of Israel. I want to show you where Tyre is. Can you find Tyre? Can you barely find Tyre? T-Y-E or T-Y-R. You found it. Good. It's all the way up there on the north. It's on the ocean. It's actually outside of the boundaries of Israel. This is the only time recorded in Scripture that Jesus left the boundaries of Israel. He goes all the way up to Tyre, which would be modern-day Lebanon. And by the way, in the passage, it says he also went to Sidon, which is even farther north on the coast than Tyre. So he leaves the country for the first and apparently the only time he leaves Israel. And that 
particular area was supposed to be Israel's. In Joshua 19, it says it belonged to the tribe of Asher, but Asher was negligent in obeying God's commands in order to take the land. So it originally should have been Israel's land. And then he goes on to say, or or Mark says, he didn't want anyone to know which house he was staying in, but he couldn't keep it a secret. Jesus is trying to get some R&R. He's trying to get some vacation time. He's using his rollover vacation to get a bed and breakfast on the coast. I think him and his disciples wanted to go boogie boarding in a little staff retreat. Can you imagine Jesus boogie boarding? It would, <laughs> that probably sacrilegious what I just said there. But they wanted to get away. They'd had a, this has been a busy time. Feeding of the 5,000, the water walking incident took all night. Just had an incident with the religious leaders. John the Baptist just died. So they're emotionally tired. They're physically tired. Just trying to prepare for the last year of ministry. A little bit of a staff retreat. And then verse 25, it says, right away, right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit and she begged him to cast out the demon from her daughter. Real quick reminder, this isn't really part of the message, but as you're tired and you're, tr- you're trying to get away and get some rest, God may set up a divine appointment of ministry for you. Some of the most impactful ministry is unplanned ministry. Some of the most impactful times in your life is when you're trying to get away, you're trying to take a break, and God sets up something for you. Just just remember, there's no such thing as taking a break from God's agenda. And in this time where they're trying to get away, you know, Peter says, always be ready to give an answer for a hope you have. Always be ready. Paul says, in season, out of season, be ready to preach the word, Timothy. And then verse 26, since she was a Gentile, born in Syrian, Phoenicia, Jesus told her, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Good answer, he said. Now go home, for the demon has left your daughter. And when she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, And the demon was gone. Here's number one. A great faith person brings their problems to Jesus. A great faith person brings their problems to Jesus. Look at verse 25. Right away, a woman who had heard about him came and fell at his feet. Her little girl was possessed by an evil spirit. Some of your translations may say unclean spirit. It is a little girl possessed by a demon likely this demon was manifesting itself in an immoral way to a little girl. This is a horrible situation. We don't know exactly what that means, but in Matthew chapter 15, verse 22, this story is also recorded in Matthew 15, a Gentile woman who lived there came to him pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. This was an extra bad demon possession. And sometimes we we hear these stories or we read these biblical stories and we just pass by it and we don't put our pain, we don't put our own mind in the pain of the situation. But man, can you imagine? That word pleading is a word that means crying, severely shrieking, begging. I'm begging you, Jesus. She's crying at the top of her lungs. It's my little girl. Maybe what was happening was the girl was trying to kill her mom. That could have been how the demon was manifesting itself. It could have been she was running around with no clothes on. It could have been she was throwing herself at other men at a young age. It could have been she was throwing herself in fire. All those things were things that they saw demon-possessed people do at that time. This was bad. I was reading this week a great description of what it's like to be a parent 
One person said, it's like walking, or, or it's like watching your heart walk around in someone else's body. When your child is bullied at school, it's like your own heart being bullied, and there isn't anything you can do. When your own child is rejected, it's like your own heart's rejected. When your own child is lonely, it's like, it's like you're lonely. It, when they're hurting, you're hurting. It's why it's that old saying, you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. And what this mother does is she brings her child to Jesus. Parents, the most important thing you can ever do for your children is bring them to Jesus. Say amen with your hands. Say amen with your hands. Most important thing you can ever do is bring your child to Jesus. We're talking great faith. We're a parent here. She's at her wit's end, and she says, you know what, Jesus? I know you can do what no doctor can do. I know you can do what no therapist can do, what no psychologist can do, what no teacher can do, what no school can do. Jesus, I know you can do what I can't do. You can take away this severe torment from my child. That's a woman of great faith. I heard about a family that was socially active in the community. They were in all the right circles. They were in the country club of the town. They were part of the elite. They were known. They were the family of the town. They had a teenage daughter who they also brought. She always wore the right clothes, went to all the events. She was part of the social elite in her high school. And one day she was out with her friends, the teenage daughter, and she ended up in a car accident. And the parents got the call. They rushed to the emergency room. When they walked in the room, the doctor was there to tell them she's probably not going to make it. And that's when the dad got down on his knees, grabbed her teenage daughter's hand, and said, hold on, dear, hold on. And the daughter opened her eyes and said, hold on to what, dad? You had me in all the right circles. I always wore the right clothes. I was at the right events. I was always popular in my high school. But you never, you never told me about Jesus. You never told me about salvation. You never took me to church. Hold on to what? Hold on to what, dad? You know, I used to not appreciate this as much, but I'm learning to appreciate it more and more. My parents pray for me. And when I was, you know, 15 years ago, when they say, hey, we're praying for you, Nathan, I would say thanks. Thanks. And that was about it. But now when they tell me that they're praying for me, yesterday I was on the phone with my mom. She said, we're praying for you. Praying for your church. I hold on to that. And as I grow older, I'm going to hold on to it more and more. My parents are donors to Venture Christian Church every month. Well, we have a lot of donors, but every month they send a check to Venture Christian Church. When I open up the envelope, sometimes there's a little handwritten note from mom and dad that says, we're praying for you. And that means more than the check. By the way, I like the check too. <laughs> Not downplaying the check. But I sometimes read the note two or three or four times. The parents are praying for me. This is important. I don't know what your parents have provided for you financially or in your inheritance or in your education or what they've gone out of their way to do for you. Don't know what that is for you. You may find a lot of faults in what your parents did growing up. And by the way, be careful with that because your kids are going to someday grow up and point out all your faults too as a parent, just so you know. But if your parents brought you to church or your parents introduced you to Jesus or your parents prayed for you, you need to be thankful. With all the faults that there could be, if they did that, you need to be thankful for your parents. I'm not downplaying the hurts. I'm upplaying a parent who brings their child to Jesus in prayer. Not only did she bring her daughter to Jesus, she brought Jesus to her daughter. She went and got Jesus and brought her to her daughter. So if you're a grandparent or grandparent here, you're an influencing aunt or uncle or cousin, 
I'm just telling you, your, your, your nephew or niece or kids may never come back and say thank you. They, ne- they may never come back and say thank you for praying for me or thank you for bringing me to church or thank you for making God a prayer. They may never do that, but just remember, eternity is hanging in the balance. You did the right thing by bringing them to Jesus Christ. Amen? You did the right thing. When I look back, you know, uh, this is what I remember. What do you remember about childhood? This is all I remember. I just remember nothing got, ever got in the way of Jesus. That's all I remember. And that stays with me. That's what stays with me. Man, my dad, man, it's, it's, we threw ourselves into other things. We threw ourselves into sports. We were a sports family. Uh, I threw myself into academics one year. That didn't work out. But, man, we did other things. There were other important things. People, yeah, they, there was one thing I remember from my childhood. Nothing got in the way of Jesus Christ, ever. And that's what stays with me. And that's what stays with my parenting. Number two, a great faith person is persistent with Jesus. She wouldn't quit. And she had every reason to quit. In Matthew 15, it says, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Have you ever been there? You prayed and there's nothing. You plead and you beg and you get on your knees and God doesn't seem to answer. Where are you? Why aren't you saying anything God, it would have been easy for her to say, well, God helps others, but she doesn't help me. She helps the Israelites. She doesn't help Syrophoenicians. Prayer doesn't work. God doesn't care. It would have been easy for her to say that. In verse 23, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away, tell her to go away. They said, she is annoying. She is bothering us with all her begging, just proof that she was persistent the disciples are annoyed. They're bothered. Jesus, we got other fish to fry. We got more important things to do. We got the cabin on the lake we're going to. Come on, check in soon. She is, and while they're doing this to Jesus, she's overhearing the disciples complaining, and she just keeps saying, Lord, help me. 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 And I understand there are some passages in Scripture that basically say when God says no, then okay. Hold your horses. Second Corinthians 12, Paul prays three times, remove the thorn in my flesh. And God says, no, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul stopped praying the prayer. So there's times to do that. But here's, I don't want to be guilty of quitting my prayer too, too soon. I don't want to be guilty of quitting too soon. Now, in that case, God gave a clear answer of no to Paul. But if God doesn't give you a clear answer of no, boy, there's something about a, about a mother hanging onto the ankles of Jesus and say, you can say no, but I'm not letting go. You're the only one who can help me. She was persistent. Number three, a great faith person can visualize what's possible. What keeps people from praying? I'll tell you what keeps people from praying. Well, I know about so-and-so who prayed for her husband's cancer and he died, so I'm not praying. I know about so-and-so and they prayed and that didn't work, so I'm not praying. A great faith person can look at the whole situation and say, yeah, God didn't do it there, and he has his reason, and God didn't do it there, and he has his reason, but God can do it here because there's nothing impossible with God. A great great faith person can see the possibility in God. In verse 27, Jesus told her, Mark 7, 27, first I should feed the children my own family, the Jews. Jesus breaks the silence and says, I'm just in the Israelite business, sorry. It's like calling Domino's and asking, do you deliver here? No, you're just outside a radius, sorry. Nothing worse. <laughs> you mean I don't have to go pick up the pizza? Well, what's that about? 
the Jews first. In Romans 1.16, when talking about the gospel, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. And then it has this weird phrase at the end, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. People get frustrated at that last line, but let me just tell you what that is. That's not saying Jews are more important than Gentiles. That's not what that's saying. That's not an order of priority. That's an order of chronology. The gospel had to come through someone, had to come through some family, had to come through some nation. God chose the Jews, not because they were better. He makes that very clear. He, he chose the Jews. It comes through them, and then it goes to the entire world. It had to come through someone. That's just the order of chronology. That's not the order of priority. And we say, okay, I, I get that. I'm fine with that. But what's going on here? Why did he say that to this woman? Why did he say, no, I'm, I'm doing the Jews thing right now. I'm not doing the Syrophoenician thing right now. Here's, here's what I think is going on. And here, here's, here's my study of the passage, and I can't get a clear answer on this. Here's what I think is going on. Jesus sees this woman and sees she's got a heart for the gospel. She has good soil. She has great faith. I'm going to use her to show everybody a lesson. I'm going to bring out that faith. I'm going to show the heart that she has. I can say yes right off the bat and this story's over, or I can tease this out. And I got something to show my disciples. In other stories, he immediately says yes to healings, by the way. In this one, he drags it out. What is he doing? I think he's bringing out her great faith for the whole world, for millions of people, even us today, 2,000 years later. He's bringing out a, he's showing us what great faith looks like. By the way, are you okay with that? Are you okay if God says no first to you? Are you okay if God uses your tragedy or your heartache or your story to show other people around you, hey, I just need you to see what great faith looks like? I know there's other people I say yes to immediately, but I want to show you when this happens to this person, I want to show you what great faith looks like on display. Disciples, come here. You need to see this. I know you just came to faith, but your faith needs to grow. Your faith needs to be strengthened. I'm going to bring this person's faith out. You okay if God uses you to do that? If he uses your heartache to say no initially to? His delay was not a denial. His saying not now doesn't mean not ever. Matthew 15, verse 25, but she came after he said no. This is what she does. She came and did what? Oh, I thought we worship when he says yes. Not a great faith person. You say no, down on my knees, I worship you. Pleading again. <laughs> Wouldn't, I'm not letting go of your ankles, buddy. Pleading again, Lord, help me. She could have find, said, fine, I'll find somebody else. I'll find a psychologist. I'll find a doctor. I'll find a pagan uh, idolater, which is what they would have done. They would have went to some pagan temple and tried to do your voodoo here. I'll try some, if you're not going to help me, I'll find somebody who does. She says, no, Jesus, I'm not leaving you. You're the only one who can do something. That's great faith. Have you given up too soon? I'm not saying that condemningly. I've given up too soon before. Have you given up too soon on something that you've been praying for? Maybe you're here today for God to impress upon you. It's time to get back up and keep going. Number four, a great faith person is humble. Now, this is beautiful. Verse 25, but she came and worshiped him, pleading again, Lord, help me. That, those words, worship me, are words that imply she got down on her knees. I love her prayer. What does her prayer say? Three words. 
I like short prayers, by the way. Lord, help me. You know, we complicate things with complicated prayers. We read some newfangled book that has 500 pages in it that says, this is the secret to prayer. Here's the secret recipe. If, if you get down in this posture and say this words, these words in, in this order, and then do this and sprinkle some pixie dust over here, I don't know. I don't know what the book says. That's the secret to prayer. You know what? When you're desperate and you're rock bottom, your prayers become shorter and your prayers become realer. Lord, help me. Have you been there? I need you in this situation for my son, for my daughter, for my spouse, for my family, for my job, for my finances. Lord, help me. I can't do it anymore. By the way, you know, we're about to start our Bible study stuff in, in a week or two, depending on which Bible study you're in. And, and you might be tempted to be that, that you're at home and you're reading some new book about the secret to prayer, and it has 600 pages about this new recipe of prayer. And, and the temptation is to bring it to your Bible study and show everybody what you just learned. Don't do it in our Bible studies. Don't you dare do that. Right here is how you pray. It's not about the prayer. It's about the faith. It's not about secret words. It's about a heart that's broken. Lord, help me. Verse 27, Jesus told her, ah, first I should feed the children, my own family, the Jews. Well, he doesn't stop. It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the, what's the next word? Dogs. Did he just call her a dog? Yes, is the answer to that. And I worked hours this week trying to get around that. No, he didn't. This is Jesus. Surely not. He did. Now, just so you know, there's two words for dogs in the Greek. One of them is a mean street dog, kind of a nasty term. The other is a puppy that lives in your house, kind of a family pet. He did use the puppy family pet word, just so you know. For me, that's just as annoying. But that's besides the point. That's, that's besides the point. But are you offended by that? When you read that and Jesus calls her a dog, are you offended? She wasn't. She was not offended. It is amazing how she handles this. She has every strike against her. She was the wrong race. She wasn't Israelite. She lived in Tyre. That's a Baal-worshipping community. That's the worst idol to worship. Uh, she, she was a Canaanite woman. Matthew tells us she was a Canaanite woman. That was worse than being a tax collector. Tax collectors at the bottom. Canaanites shouldn't have even been alive. Israelites are supposed to wipe them off the face of the earth. She's a Canaanite woman. She, she was the wrong gender in those days, being a female compared to a male. She had every strike against her. He calls her a dog, and she's not offended. This is her response. She replied, that's true, Lord. <laughs> what? But even the dogs under the table are allowed to eat the scraps from the children's plates. Jesus is saying, you don't deserve it. She says, that's true. I don't deserve it. Well, what would you say if Jesus looked at you and said, you don't deserve it? Would you argue this is the gospel. In today's newfangled stuff of you do deserve it, believe in yourself, your opinion matters, you are important, you, 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 you are worthy, Jesus comes along and says, no, you're not. You're not worthy. By the way, if you can't grasp that, you can't grasp the gospel. If you think you're worthy of the gospel, you'll never have the gospel. If you think you deserve salvation, you'll never be saved. 
If you don't think you deserve salvation, heaven's doors are open to you. Amen? No, 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 no. Amen? Come on. Come on. Number five, a great faith person believes in God's big grace. Verse 27, she replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. She's saying, in your illustration, Jesus, I, I hear you, but there's crumbs that fall over the side of the table that dogs get to eat too. So in your illustration, I get some of the crumbs. Come on now. Verse 28 of Matthew 15, he replied, dear woman, Jesus said to her, four words, your faith is great. Your faith is great. Your request is granted, and her daughter was instantly healed. And it goes on in one more verse in Mark 7, verse 30. When she arrived home, she found her little girl lying quietly in bed, and the demon was gone. As Shira or someone comes to play, I want to end with this. Let's just cut straight to the chase. Let's just get straight to it as we close. When Jesus said this, it isn't right to feed you yet. I'm feeding my family. You're just a dog scraps under the table when he said that and she said yeah but uh, dogs get scraps too here's, here's what she was declaring and she was proclaiming with her mouth she was saying God I get that I get I'm not worthy I get I, I'm not deserving I get all that but I believe your mercy and your love and your goodness and your grace and your power is so big that it can overflow past Israel and even if I just get one crumb of your grace that's big enough to change the situation one crumb from you, one little scrap for a dog. That's big enough. You're big enough. Your love is big enough. Your grace is big enough. Your power is big enough. Your mercy is big enough. If I can just get one. And he looks at her and says, dear woman, your faith is great. Disciples, are you listening to this? Pharisees, are you getting it? You who think you are deserving? you who think you are worthy, you who think you are good enough, this woman, two women in all the gospels, Jesus says, has great faith. This is one of them. Your faith is great. It's impossible to please God without faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even your faith. For by grace we are saved through faith. It is faith that pleases the Father. The Bible says when the Son of Man returns, he's going to look to see, is there going to be any faith? Am I going to find any faith? It's faith that pleases him. Close with this. It, was, uh, it had to be the week of July 4th because there were fireworks. I don't remember the exact date, but our little two-year-old boy, he, has a, he, he likes to play ball. He has an eye for ball. And so I thought I'd take him out to the ball fields on Katie Hockley Cutoff and Morton, probably Morton. There's some ball fields out there. There's some little ball fields for little kids, two-year-old boys, I think just designed for them. So I thought I'd take our little two-year-old boy out to the ball field. And, of course, the other two, they didn't want to feel left out, so they, they made sure they got in in the car as well. So we went all out there. I think it was that week of July 4th. There were no ball games, no practices. The, the parking lot was empty, which I've never seen that parking lot empty. Actually, that parking lot challenges my faith in Jesus anyway. But we pulled in there. There were no cars except for two pickup trucks beyond the outfield fence of the little field. 
I pulled up, I parked, and when we got out of the vehicle, notice those were young men, probably college age, wearing tank tops. They were ripped and muscular, and they were up to no good, and they were shooting off fireworks, and they were tilting back a few, and there was some smoke in the air that I remember smelling in college. Let me just tell you, put it to you that way. Not that I did it, you know, I'm just telling you I remember the smell. And they were rowdy, and they were acting rowdy. And when we got out of the car, our two boys, they didn't even notice. They just ran straight to the ball field. Our little girl, little, little girl, when she got out, her eyes immediately went to the chaos and those big, strong men, and she was walking with tension in her little legs. She was scared. And what normally she would do is just run off independently of her dad. That's what she loves to do is be independent of her dad. But on this particular case, as she eyed the situation, she just started to nudge a little closer to me. And she reached up her hand, and I grabbed her hand. And I noticed the second I grabbed her hand, all the tension fell. She's good. I'm walking with my dad now. My dad can take you guys. I couldn't. There are too many of them. <laughs> but I was so happy. You know why I was happy? Because she trusted her dad. If my hand is in his hand, I'm good. And if your hand is, is, is in his hand, 